Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of the Indigenous Art Programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland. Secretary Holland made history when she became the first Native American to serve as Cabinet Secretary. She's a member of the Pueblo of Laguna and a 35th generation Mexican. Secretary Holland grew up in a military family. Her father, a 30-year combat Marine who was awarded the Silver Star for saving six lives in Vietnam, and her mother as a Navy veteran who served as a federal employee for 25 years in the Bureau of Indian Affairs. As a military child, she attended 13 public schools before graduating from Highland High School in Albuquerque. Throughout her career in public service, Secretary Holland has broken barriers and opened the doors of opportunity for future generations. After running for New Mexico Lieutenant Governor in 2014, Secretary Holland became the first Native American woman to be elected to lead the state party. She is one of the first Native American women to serve in Congress. In Congress, she has focused on environmental justice, climate change, missing murdered indigenous women, family-friendly policies. This, uh, it's an understatement to say that, that I'm excited to be able to share this conversation with you. When we talk about uh, the list of, of categories that we have for the show, I think Mover and Shaker is, is sort of the definition under Secretary Holland. So, with that said, let's jump to the conversation with Secretary of the Interior, Deb Madam Secretary, thank you so much for joining us on Five Plain Questions. It's such an honor to have you here. Of course, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, can you uh, introduce yourself? Uh, tell us a little bit about where, where you're from, your background, and what it is that you do. My background, well, I am um, I'm a very proud member of the Pueblo of Laguna, I was raised as a Pueblo woman by my mother and my grandmother and the women in my fam in my on my maternal side of the family, and um, so I'm an enrolled member at Laguna, and I am honored to serve our country uh, at the pleasure of the President of the United States as the United States Secretary of the Interior, and that. Um, you know, we have a mission at the interior. It's to manage uh, and conserve all of our public lands and our cultural resources for the American people, as well as to uphold the trust and treaty obligations of our nation's Indian tribes. And the fact that you are appointed to that position um, is the historical importance is not lost on uh, so many of us. So thank you for serving in this position. As I said, it's an honor and a privilege for me. So can you talk about your influences, um, your influences early on, and what is influencing and who is influencing you today? Right. So, you know, a while back, um, I, I mean, of course, I, I think, you know, part of the reason I'm so honored to do this work and, um, that we, you know, we take it seriously and we all work hard 
is that um, for one thing, the, the part about us, you know, our department upholding the trust and treaty responsibilities of our country's Indian tribes. I mean, I've, you know, my Pueblo, my family, all of us, we have, we have lived by the decisions of the federal government um, for generations, right? I mean, the federal Indian boarding school policies, all the assimilation policies, those were all uh, federally driven policies that affected uh, my people for generations and generations. And so when I think about the folks who have had a voice in in those decisions, you know, and I think right away, Billy Frank Jr. comes to mind, right? A, a man in the Pacific Northwest who was vocal and stood up for his people and and really, you know, drove home the idea that tr treaty responsibilities uh, are, they never expire, right? Our treaties never expire. The federal government has to live by the promises that it made. Um, so when I think about the work that I do, I stand on the shoulders of so many of our Native American uh, leaders who really worked hard to hold the federal government's feet to the fire when it came to the decisions that they made. And, um, and so I, I know that, um, you know, I, I didn't just, uh, I didn't just, you know, come on the scene and, and start making decisions. I, I feel like I stand on the shoulders of all of those people who have worked hard for so many generations uh, to, to make sure that our treaty rights are intact, to make sure that our people can vote. Um, um, Miguel Trujillo, uh, an Isleta Pueblo uh, World War II Marine Corps veteran, uh, came home from the war and couldn't vote in New Mexico. And so he sued the state of New Mexico so that native people in New Mexico could vote. So it's th those are the people who inspire me, the folks who who really use their voice uh, for, uh, for the people who didn't have a voice. And so um, I'm grateful that I've, I've had opportunities to, to take their influences and and you know, move those issues uh, forward, and and I mean, I can't say that um, that my influences have changed that much, right? Um, when I when I won my congressional seat in 2018, it was exactly 50 years after Shirley Chisholm had won, and she was the first African American woman to um, to be elected to the U.S. Congress, the U.S. House of Representatives, and. Um, and so I, and I was the first, you know, one of the first Native American women to be elected. So I feel like without Shirley Chisholm, uh, you know, maybe there wouldn't have been a Deb Holland or Sharice Davids getting elected to Congress. And so, um, you know, we are, we, we are all in this together. Uh, we all owe a debt uh, to the people who came before us. And uh, so I'll do my best to, to live up to that debt. I think that's such a great point. Um, you know, so often as young people, it's hard for us to find uh, stories and examples in the media um, that look like us. I'm a, a Wapetuan Dakota from the Sisseton Wapetunoyate. And, you know, part of the inspiration of doing this podcast is to share stories uh, like your own to inspire younger people. And so I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, your career. Um, 
kind of boiling down the question, how, how did you get here? Um, you know, you, you are, you went to law school, uh, you were in school before that. Um, what, what brought you to this place? Thank you for that question. And, you know, I get it. I get people ask me all the time, you know, did you, did you dream about being, you know, a cabinet secretary when you were younger? And I said, absolutely not. I never had those kinds of dreams. I had, I had, um, you know, I was raised in a military family. My mother was, uh, worked for the Bureau of Indian Affairs for 25 years. We were, uh, uh, my, you know, my dad gave us a strong middle-class upbringing. I went to 13 public schools before I graduated uh, from high school in Albuquerque. And, um, and so I, like, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't born into something. I didn't have to live up to a legacy. You know, my dad wasn't a Supreme Court justice or a, I mean, we were just normal, regular, everyday Americans working, you know, my parents working to keep a roof over our heads. And um, and so when I think about what motivates me and um, and certainly Miguel Trujillo uh, with respect to Indian voting absolutely motivated me. And that's really where I got my start. It was organizing an Indian country to make sure that our people uh, got out to vote for elections. Uh, because I think that's the way we make our voices heard. And so, you know, that's where I started. Um, that's uh, one thing led to another. Eventually, I felt like if I ran for office, perhaps um, I would, you know, we would have a larger voice and I could get more people out to vote. So my motivation behind running for public office was really because I wanted more Native folks to get out and vote. So, um so I, I think that, um, you know, what, when I think about my career, uh, it really is, it, it's, it started from essentially from scratch. And um, I am just grateful that along the way, I've been able to um, maybe inspire people to also run uh, for office, that I've been able to help people to understand that their voices matter and that, um, you know, there are ways of, of ensuring that we can uh, move forward uh, with a better future for, um, for the people we care about. And um, so, you know, running for um, a state party chair in 2014, and then deciding to run for, I'm sorry, state party chair, uh, I'm sorry, deciding to run for lieutenant governor in 2014, and then state party chair in 2015. Um, after that, you know, I just thought, well, I might as well keep going. And that's when I ran for Congress in 2018. And so, um, so I think, you know, what I, what I feel like is important for people to know is that you don't just, you know, you don't just show up somewhere. Um, no, there's nothing that will replace hard work. Right. You if you want to run for office or you want to be involved uh, in making sure that your people have a voice, it takes a lot of hard work and uh, nothing can replace that. So uh, I'm proud of the work that I've I've always done to, um, you know, to, to for people to join uh, and be a part of of, you know, to express their voice. And so. Um, uh, I'm grateful now, of course, um, to have the opportunity I have at the Department of the Interior. Thinking back to those those 
first early days um, when you were running for office, was there um, maybe an incident or something that happened that sort of pushed you into that direction where you said to yourself, this is what I'm going to go for. This is what I'm going to try. Well, I think that um, I don't know about for anyone, but for me, uh, when I started working on campaigns, when I started organizing and getting people out to vote, um, that kind of grabs a hold of you. And um, I, you know, once I started working on campaigns, I absolutely wanted to work on campaigns every uh, every election cycle. So I would join. I just feel that um, electing people who care about the issues that I care about is important to me. And um, and so I I mean, you know, once I started, um, I I I love campaigns. Uh, I love uh, when candidates are out there talking about um, you know issues that will move our country forward. And and I just think it's important uh, for us to have our voices in that way. What would you say to the, uh, the 18 or 22 year old that's listening to this conversation? I would say, I mean, I would first say, listen to your grandparents, listen to your parents, uh, listen to your aunties and uncles, the elders in our communities, they have knowledge that is so valuable that you can use and you never know uh, how that knowledge will benefit you in the future. And I often say, you know, when I was a kid uh, staying with my grandparents at the village of Nasita on the Laguna Pueblo, uh, my older cousins and my sisters, they'd always run out the door and, and run away from me. Like I was the youngest, so they didn't want me hanging out with them. So oftentimes I'd be the only kid, you know, the youngest kid at, at home, and my grandfather would just say, well, come with me to the field. So I'd go with him down to his cornfield, and there I learned so much about nature, about growing corn, about uh, worms, and, you know, all these things. And I feel like now that knowledge that my grandfather taught me in his cornfield, it's benefiting me right now as the Secretary of the Interior. So you never know how the knowledge you receive as a young, you know, as as a you as a person of young years, um, you don't know how that knowledge will benefit you. So I would say to any eighteen or twenty-two year old, sit down with your grandparents and talk to them, and take that knowledge into you so that you have opportunities to use that at a later time. That's wonderful. Uh, it brings back memories of my father taking me through his garden and uh, having a very similar experience when I was younger. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, the the fifth question, um, and I, I feel this is a very important question. Could you share, um, can you tell me uh, the secret uh, of what makes a great salsa? A uh, number of, uh, I think, of our mutual friends uh, have talked about your your fantastic cooking abilities, <laughs> and I I'm just really curious. So, of course, being from New Mexico, I would have to say that the secret to great salsa is using New Mexico chili, local New Mexico chili, and um, I'll be honest with you, whenever I go home, 
that's what I do is I make sure that I bring Chile back to Washington, D.C. with me. Um, but we have uh, the best climate, the best elevation, the best water, everything you need to grow uh, a perfect uh, chili is in New Mexico. And so uh, that's what I that's what I have used and what I will always use for my salsa. Um, now there's different kinds of salsa. You can make red chili salsa, you can make green chili salsa. Uh, you can, uh, you know, there's there's a plethora of ways uh, to be creative, but I think uh, foundationally you need to start with really good chili, and that is from New Mexico. Fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. Well, I have a destination to go to now uh, to experience that. Well, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, I know you're quite busy. Uh, hopefully, uh, next time, uh, I would love to be able to talk about indigenous food sovereignty and uh, this new movement that's taking place in America, uh, where we're getting uh, control of our narrative back, and which involves food. And I would love to have a conversation with you about that. Absolutely. And, you know, food is, you know, my grandparents, whenever we would eat dinner together or have a meal together, that's the time when they would give us advice about things, right? Yes, yes, we should absolutely have that conversation because it's important. It's not only, um, you know, what you cook, it's what it means and the history behind it. Madam Secretary, thank you so much for being on this program. This was an absolute honor to have you here. Thank you so much, Joe. It was my honor to be with you. And uh, thanks again so much. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Secretary Holland again for her time and sharing her story with us. It's not lost on me the the magnitude of the accomplishment that Secretary Holland had in being selected and nominated for this position that she's in, uh, not just for Indian country, uh, for us having a representative there, but for the country as a whole to have an indigenous person as the Secretary of the Interior is, it's, it's not just a huge personal accomplishment on her end, but it's, it's an acknowledgement uh, by the United States that this is Indian country, that this is Indian land. And I, I say, I use the word Indian uh, in the legal American context. Uh, of course, we are indigenous, we are Native American, and we come from our, our, our own nations that are um, hugely, hugely important. But in the context of legal American uh, language, that's the language that has, that is on the books currently. So for her to take time for this podcast to share her story with us is something that is something I'm incredibly grateful for. And this opportunity is not lost on me. Uh, that said, um, you know, it's, let's, uh, let's acknowledge how great uh, Southwestern uh, salsa and chili is, you know, uh, I look forward to the day when uh, Two Arrows Salsa may come back and be available for us. I've heard from multiple people, including a close personal friend and our mutual friend, Alexandra Harris, of, of how great that salsa was back in the day. And I feel like my life won't be complete unless I am able to enjoy that <laughs> at some point. Uh, but, you know, that's that's a personal goal that I hope you share as well. Uh, so, yeah. So, Secretary Holland, 
thank you so much and to her team for making this happen. I am deeply indebted for, for this opportunity. So thank you. And I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. And that does it for season four of the podcast. Um, it's been a long year. It's been a long uh, four seasons. And I, I want to thank you for for spending and investing your time coming back episode after episode to what has been an incredibly important and meaningful program for myself. And so I thank you for that. Well, that does it for me. Uh, thank you for this experience. And I'll be seeing you around. has been an 11-word arts program.